Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, August 17th. According to a new study, a larger than average number of Canadians have died this year, and the numbers were also trending higher in 2021 and 2022. So what's behind the disturbing increase, and how do these stats compare to other countries? We get some answers from infectious disease researcher Tara Moriarty. It's been a hot summer in the city of Calgary, and while we all do what we can to beat the heat, have you ever wondered how the animals keep their cool at the zoo? We check in with Colleen Baird from the Wilder Institute Calgary Zoo to talk about the hot weather challenges faced by the residents of the zoo and what the keepers do to cool things down. And finally, if you're a dog lover and you're interested in helping out a great organization, we've got you covered. We learn all about PADS, the Pacific Assistant Dog Society, which pairs people living with disabilities with a four-legged friend and helper. We speak with Meredith Ariscoog from PADS about the current need for foster homes for dogs and training for the organization. More people than expected are dying this year in Canada for reasons that are not yet clear. Joining us to discuss is Tara Moriarty, infectious disease researcher and co-founder of COVID-19 Resources Canada. Good morning to you, Tara. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, I want to start uh, by looking at a term uh, in some of the literature uh, from this research, from this report, uh, a term called excess mortality. How do we define excess mortality? Um, excess mortality is essentially... Um, the the it's untimely deaths so it's the number of people who die um that is uh more than what we would normally expect given population aging and everything else um for this period of time so these are people who died earlier than would have been expected to statistically so i mean what is the expected number of deaths in a year based on then does it take into account things like overdoses natural disasters for example yeah, so um, so Statistics Canada every month publishes their excess mortality estimates um, for every province um, and for the country as a whole. And that's um, a sort of a crude estimate of the, the totals. And then what my organization or our organization does is we go in and we look at the number of deaths, that excess deaths that could be attributed to toxic drugs, for example, heat waves, um, mass homicides, suicide, accidents, things like that. And we subtract those from StatsCan's estimates to get an idea of how much uh, mortality can't be explained. And then we look at the number of reported COVID deaths and uh, we subtract those and we get um, uh, uh, an estimate of the gap of un- unexplained um, mortality. And uh, there is uh, currently a lot of um, unexplained mortality um, throughout the COVID pandemic in Canada, um, um, but also in 2023. However, uh, we think that um, some of this may be due to problems with health care system access, um, but based on estimated COVID infection numbers, because they're still, um, they're going back up again, for example, in Alberta, um, and they uh, were quite high until the last couple of months, that uh, a big chunk of this is also likely COVID deaths that have been missed because changes of changes in the way provinces are reporting and well, testing. In countries like Britain and France, excess mortality has been attributed to COVID-19 factors, but their death reporting systems are also far more timely than we have here in Canada. Oh, yeah. So why do we have such a lag in death reporting in our nation? 
this it, this is a historical problem in Canada. So our death reporting, um, so for example, pre-COVID, it took more than two years on average for death reporting to be completed um, for the country. As of right now, um, Canada has not completed its death reporting past um, past February of 2020. So it's even worse now than it was. The questions of why it's like this are um, it, they're they're complicated. They're political. They're about data sharing of provinces um, with uh, with, for example, Statistics Canada. Um, and the Canadian Vital Statistics Death Registry. Um, we don't have laws that require timely reporting. We have, unlike many other high-income countries, and we have a whole mess of problems related to health data reporting, um, which are serious problems in Canada, ongoing problems that we have not yet successfully addressed despite the impact of COVID-19 and despite the the really historically high levels of excess mortality that we've been seeing for the last few years. And uh, for people to understand the levels of excess mortality, there have been more than 90,000 excess deaths in Canada since the beginning of 2020. And that's more than double the death toll of World War II, for example, and more than double the death toll of the 1918 to 1920 flu, which some people know was was Canada's, um, you know, had the had the largest death impact in Canadian history. So, I mean, Tara, is the problem? What are we trying to find here? Are we trying to, or is it a dual thing? We we have a, a terrible reporting system, and that's the problem. Yeah. Or we're trying to figure out why these mass numbers of excess mortality, as we call it, is this a dual issue that we need answers to both? Yes. So we can't answer why people are dying unless we have fast, complete death reporting. Um, We need to know the causes of death. um, And uh, that, like I said, has not been completed past the very early part of 2020. So if we're to understand what's going on, we need to have very fast reporting um, and complete reporting by all provinces. and in addition, we also need um, improved COVID death reporting um, because clearly in the U.S., the U.K., um, France, you know, 80% of excess mortality since COVID started has been directly attributed to COVID at least. In Canada, we're now sitting at um, uh, about 50%. We're really missing likely a bunch of COVID deaths. And the reason we need to know exactly how many there have been is because if on top of COVID, we have other things that are happening, like problems related to healthcare system access and everything else, we need to know where those problems are. We need to have a sense of why people are dying so quickly so that we can try to fix it in real time, you know, not four years after when we get, or five years after with current trends, when we get the data we need to understand what was actually happening. Five years is too late when this many people are dying. Could part of the conundrum surrounding COVID be the fact that, hey, it's it's a new game for all of us, uh, but even within that conundrum, the long COVID or long all COVID. Yeah. We don't know exactly A, what exactly that will bring in the years and in months and years to come, and B, no. it could manifest itself as something else, and we would not consider it a COVID death down the line? 
Oh, I mean, this is a whole area that we really don't uh, know much about. You know, and what will happen in Canada is that we will be completely reliant on research that's being done in faster reporting countries that are doing a better job, like the UK, um, like the US, actually, despite how much Canadians have criticized the US, the US death reporting is really improved for COVID and they're doing a lot better than we are now. Um, so we're going to have to completely rely on other countries and what they've learned about their populations and about the effects of long COVID to say, well, this is probably happening in Canada. But the problem is that policy changes aren't made in Canada until often, you know, the response will be, well, we don't have evidence for Canada. We don't have data, so we can't change anything. So we're stuck in this terrible pattern where we're going to have to rely on other countries to um, do the work for us and understand and report on what's happening with their populations. Um, And then we are going to maybe adopt uh, or change things based on what we've learned from them, or we're going to say, well, we don't have Canadian data, we need to wait, and we'll have to wait for another few years before we can act. So we just don't know with long COVID um, what the long-term impact will be globally. You know, we, we don't know. Um, and this is uh, an area of research that uh, really needs to be developed and uh, needs to be worked on internationally. But unfortunately, in Canada, it's virtually impossible to do this right now. Wow. Fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Tara. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Tara Moriarty, infectious disease researcher, co-founder of COVID-19 Resources Canada. Uh, Still under that heat warning for the city of Calgary. High temperature will be in the mid-30s today before we finally see a cool down. But in the meantime, still dealing with the heat. And we humans have been searching for ways to try and beat the heat. But what do the animals do? Time to find out from Colleen Baird of the Wilder Institute, Calgary Zoo, uh, Director of Animal Care and Welfare. Good morning to you, Colleen. Good morning. Uh, let's talk about this. Keeping the animals cool. We can turn on fans, maybe have AC, go check out a movie and go to an air-conditioned theater, but the <laughs> animals perhaps don't have set options. What do the handlers watch for in this heat, Colleen? Well, our human caregivers, you know, have to pay attention when we have extreme weather with the animals at at our zoo. Um, Basically, we give them lots of options. So some animals adapt well to the heat and some don't. We have a variety of climate zones that uh, show a variety of different species. So, for example, you know, the hippos, they're meant for some hot weather. They're an African species, but they do have some unique adaptations to help them with the heat like this slimy mucus that they produce that gives them a bit of a sunscreen sunscreen and also keeps their skin moisture so it doesn't dry out. But then there's other animals like in the Canadian wilds, such as like the wolves or the moose, and they have to do kind of different things to cool off, which would be more like spending time in the water or a wallow. And that sounds funny, like why would a wolf be in a puddle of water? But they actually do like water and they do know that it is a way to cool down and uh, we do provide that for them. You know, I love that, and I, I would imagine, too, you've got uh, some of the handlers, et cetera, on site teaching people, too, about that. Because, you know, it, we assume we know what we can do for ourselves, but we don't know what you or folks are doing behind the scenes at the Wilder Institute Calgary Zoo. So that must be part of the learning process, I would imagine, too, for your guests, right? You know, it is. And it's, you know, and it can be frustrating sometimes that, you know, when visitors, you know, pay to come in and, and you know, see what we have out there and learn um and then there's sometimes when some species 
one of the only options might be to give them access to a back of house space where it's more cool in the building. And that might be like, for example, a red panda. Um, sometimes they just are too panting. You know, we, animals do pant. That's one way that they can exchange uh, heat throughout their mouth by panting. Uh, but when we do see some of these animals that are excessively panting, we do need to provide them that extra bit of like, hey, come inside or have an option to come inside. One funny thing about the red pandas is though, we do have these interesting ice blocks. So we do have these ice blocks that we freeze. And we pull them out of the freezer and we put them in slots on their platform. And so there's cool places on their platform where they can like spread out, lay and get some cooling effect from this ice block. Um, and people just don't know that you're right. Mm -hmm. So when my team is out there taking care of animals and they come across visitors who have questions or, or concern, we can, you know, educate them on that. But it's people like you and other media sources that we're able to kind of reach a greater audience to let them know what's happening. Colleen, I'm wondering, and you mentioned the, the protocols in place and you mentioned, you know, some of the unique adaptations from some of these animals. But do some simply thrive in the heat? Are you surprised by some who are just soaking it all in and this is their time to shine? <clears throat> For sure. So hippos are kind of one of them, but also like gorillas and lemurs. Um, you know, the gorillas are adapted for a hot climate as well. Um, so, you know, you'll see them out in the sun and you'll be like, you're crazy. But, you know, <laughs> they do actually uh, like to sit out in the sun uh, and, and soak up the heat. You'll see the lemurs, they like will put their arms out like almost like a Buddha and just kind of absorb that heat. Some of our like bird species will fluff up. They'll take bird baths or like flap their wings and shake a lot uh, to help cool off their bodies as well. Love it. And I would imagine, too, as we, you know, learn about some of the, these things, these ways that you're, you're helping the animals at the zoo, that we can kind of translate it to, you know, maybe our, our pets at home, too, right? Of just being aware, watching, and maybe giving them some help, too, in this terribly hot weather. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we do somewhat monitor our parking lots. We make sure that, you know, we, we are quite concerned if, like, pets are left in cars. Um, you know, so we pay attention to that sort of what is happening and ongoing at the zoo parking lot. Um, but one other thing I wanted to mention about our animals was you might see these fun things on in some of the habitats that are like ice blocks, but they might be colorful or they might have fruit or vegetables in them. And we do put those out for lots of animals so that as the heat um, melts that ice, they can have access to different uh, yummy foods. Um, and also they use it as a enrichment item, which is occupational. So if you see any of those ice blocks around, just know that that's on purpose, and mm. we've done that uh, specifically for this heat wave. I love it. I'm going to do that yeah. for my kids today. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Colleen, keep cool yourself, and uh, tip of the hat to the work you do at the zoo. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. That is Colleen Baird, Interim Associate Director of Animal Care and Welfare at the Wilder Institute Calgary Zoo. There is a critical shortage of puppy raising volunteers around the world and Calgary, no exception. To talk about the program and the critical shortage of volunteers is Marketing and Media Coordinator for PADS or Pacific Assistance Dogs, Meredith Ariscu. Good morning to you, Meredith. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, for those who don't know, tell us a bit about PADS, this program. I love it. So It's adorable and yet so important. It is. It's very important. So, uh, as you said, Pacific Assistance Dogs and Pads, we train and raise uh, service dogs for people uh, that are in need. They have, we serve five different programs, mobility dogs, PTSD dogs, 
hearing dogs, AFD or accredited facility dogs, and VIP dogs, which are very important pets that help families with special needs children. So, yeah, these are they play a very critical role in um, you know granting some independence for for individuals that um, would not necessarily be able to do that without the, the, the service dog at their side. So let's break down the issue here, Meredith, because, you know, yes. it sounds like a, a dream gig if people love dogs and want to help <laughs> out. is it? It's not really the case that there's a lack of volunteers, but the demand is so high. Is that right? And, and if so, why is demand high at this point? Well, unfortunately, it has to do with the pandemic. I know we can't seem to stop talking about the pandemic, and we all like to see it in the rearview mirror very, very far. But um, during the pandemic, PADS was able to still place service dogs, but um, we were not able to keep up with the demand as much as we could just because of everything going on in the world. Our uh, wait lists increased and the need for our volunteers has never really stopped. And during the pandemic, it was very difficult to recruit new volunteers because people weren't able to do the things that we needed them to do, which was take the puppies out into the world and socialize them for the future careers that they'd have. So we've been gearing up. We've been trying to get as many people interested. Um, recruiting is what we're doing right now. We're recruiting for new volunteer puppy raisers in all of our regions, not just in the Calgary region, but in our lower mainland region and also um, in our Okanagan region. So, uh, yeah, if anyone knows clear folks that are interested in this, then yeah. So what we're doing, what, what we need is people to take our eight-week-old squishy beautiful little puppies and turn them into 18-month-old um, ready-to-go um, into our advanced training program uh, dogs that will then eventually be future superheroes that change people's lives. Do you, and that's do you, what we're doing. Do you train us to, to look yeah. after the dogs? Totally. So you do not need experience. This is the good news. You do not need experience. All you need is the love of dogs and a passion for volunteering in your community because our group in Calgary, there is, uh, we have over 130 active volunteers in Calgary. They are amazing. They are a passionate group and they would welcome you with open arms. And, um, we train you how to do this. We meet on a regular basis. You get all the information you need, um, vet bills and uh, food food is often covered. All you really need to do is provide the love and the care. So, yeah. yeah just before so we, go, yeah. Does, does it matter if you have a family? How does it work with the, with the house it situation? It doesn't matter. We are looking for families of all shapes and sizes, families with children, families with other pets. We need to prepare these dogs uh, for environments that we don't even know about, right? I mean, people live in very different lives. They live in apartments. They live in houses. They live, you know, in small spaces, large spaces. So we want to expose our dogs to everything we can possibly think of. So that means any family, any number of people in a family um, are welcome. So if you're thinking, oh, I don't, I don't have the space, Yes, you do. If you have space in your heart, you have space for a pet dog. So, yeah, it's it's very rewarding. And we take our dogs with us everywhere we go because they have um, public access when they're learning how to be a service dog. We are respectful of local businesses. Uh, and we so if if they have asked us to, to leave, we, we do that. But um, we are able to go into various places and train these dogs. So it, it, 
you don't really don't have anything to lose, everything to gain. Oh, it looks like, it sounds like the dream dog. Pads.ca, is that the website for people who want to look into perhaps being volunteers with the organization? Yes, pads.ca slash volunteer. It'll okay. break down all the different re- roles that we have and in our different regions as well. Perfect. Pads.ca slash volunteer. Thanks, Meredith. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You have a wonderful day. You too. Meredith Araskoog, Marketing Media Coordinator with PADS, Pacific Assistance Dogs.